This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Conservative. Constitutional. It's the Andrew Cooper Writer Show, keeping you informed on what's going on right here in Kentucky. And welcome, everybody, to the Andrew Cooper Writer Show your source for Kentucky politics from a constitutional and conservative perspective. Got a lot of big stories for us today, but first, please make sure you are sharing this show with others. If you're listening to this on WZXI, we'll tell some other people to tune on in. If you're listening to this on Facebook, Rumble, YouTube, uh, Twitters, make sure you share it out. Hit that share button, like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. Uh, if you're listening to this in podcast format, if you can leave a review, that helps out too as well. As always, if you want to reach out to the Andrew Cooper show, send me an email at info at the Once again, that's info at the Might just read it on air if it's good enough. If it's tantalizing enough. Might just cover it. But we've got some big news to get to. And one of the biggest news stories of the day, Senate Majority Leader. So-called Republican Damon Thayer has announced he won't be running for re-election to the Senate. I have just one feeling about that. Let the joyous news be spread. The wicked old witch at last is dead. That's right. Ding dong. The witch is dead. Now, obviously, Damon Thayer is not actually dead. But why do I dislike Damon Thayer? Why do I compare him to the wicked witch, the West or East or whichever witch was dead? I'm not a Wizard of Oz extraordinaire. Why, why is he so awful? You know, I dislike a fair number of politicians because I've discovered that they're either liars or cheats or things like that. Uh, maybe they're corrupt. Maybe they're liars. Maybe they have the wrong political philosophy for me to handle. Maybe they're actually liberals while calling themselves Republicans. Maybe there are a number of things. And while Damon Thayer doesn't have the title of the person that I find to be the most liberal and repugnant to actual Republicanism in the Senate, that belief, that title, I believe, belongs to uh, Senator Whitney Westerfield out of Western Kentucky, the guy sponsoring the car, the red flag gun law, the guy who um, was standing there right there to tear down the statutes in the Capitol Rotunda, uh, the guy who at one point lobbied Bevin to commute the sentence of a convicted child rapist. Um, no, that's that's not that title Damon Thayer gets. That belongs to Whitney Westerfield. And I won't even call him the most pompous jerk in the Senate, though he's up there. No, that title would have to belong to Senator Meredith, who could find a way to talk down and be a jerk to God himself because he's so full of himself. No, I dislike Damon Thayer because he is the, if not one of, if not maybe the most corrupt 
politician in Frankfurt. And that's really saying something. And it's not just that he spent hundreds of thousands of dollars or flowed hundreds of thousands of dollars against me in a Senate campaign. You can't see why. It's only because I think he's incredibly corrupt, awful human being. No, it's because he's objectively corrupt. Let me give you an example. Damon Thayer is the chair, the head of the committee that oversees the horse racing industry in gambling specifically. And yet, do you know what Damon Thayer's day job is? Well, he is a consultant to the horse racing industry. He chairs this very powerful committee that controls every piece of regulation against the very same industry he consults to. And that while it's legal for him to receive potentially millions of dollars of legal bribes, it is outwardly repugnant. It is corrupt. The reason why the horse industry has had such a control, specifically the horse tracks, have had such a control, you know, uh, uh, just anything they want passed gets passed. Gambling, sins, whatever it may be, as long as the Kentucky horse parks can profit from it, Damon Thayer will get it done for him. He's their guy. He gets it done. So he's incredibly corrupt. But he is politically savvy, and he's, I don't know how old he is. Um, he's not super old, uh, that being stated. And so the question is, why is he quitting? What is his plan here? Well, uh, as speculation resounds, one thing that I've heard is that this gentleman, this so-called gentleman, this corrupt politician, liar. I mean, he's lied directly to my face. He shake my hand and lied to my face. Um, this particular creature of politics, he wouldn't give up power so easily. And my sources tell me that he is eyeing up a run for governor here in four years, a run for governor in four years. Some people think maybe he could be thinking about McConnell's Senate seat coming up in 2026, but I've been told he's looking at the governor's office. And so why is he pulling out now if this governor's election isn't for a little while? Isn't it better for him to stay in office and then campaign from governor from this position? Well, his withdrawal with the without the fact that he is, I, I'm, if, as long as he's actually planning to run for higher office down the road, which I'm told he is, and I had to believe that, his withdrawal tells me that we activists, we conservative voters, we people who demand something conservative be done in this state, that we are tired of this mamby-pamby legislature. Not only are we winning, but it's time to pick up the pace. Why? Because I believe Damon Thayer must be leaving because he is doing a few things. One, he wants to try to lift up his political image a little bit more. And if he's away from office, away from the public eye as much, a little bit, especially on legislation, well, then the grassroots people like me or you may not resist him so much when he decides to finally run for office. But there's another indication to me that not only is what we're doing working, but we've got to pick it up. And that is that there must be some controversial and difficult votes for conservatives to make coming down the pipe. Votes like school choice, votes like uh, this fighting this red flag gun law, stopping that from going forward, you know, votes like having to to deal with the base when it comes to abortion and then wanting that the, the establishment and people like there, they want to get 
exemptions passed, but were standing in the way. So they want to remove themselves from that conversation. So that way he can, when he's running in the general, assuming he gets through primary, he can do a standard old flip-flop like Daniel Cameron did and be able to deliver this you know, middle of the road, moderate Republican without having a track record on those issues that people can attack him on. It tells me that we conservatives might be forcing this legislature to take some steps they don't want to take, or at least things that they think would hurt them in quote unquote, the masses, which means that it is a conservative action because obviously he's, he's not doing these things because he thinks that it would hurt him with primary voters, but he thinks the Democrats won't like some of the votes and some of the legislation that's going through some of the middle of the road voters. And he doesn't want to draw their ire, which tells me we're about to possibly see some big pieces of legislation coming down the pipe. Now who might run for his See who might take his seat over. Well, I'm excited to say it's not me. I'm excited to say that uh, there is a possibility, and I, I don't know, I haven't talked to her, but there's a possibility that Representative Savannah Maddox from Northern Kentucky, she does live in Grant County, she lives in the Senate district. She is a potential for running for this seat. I haven't talked to her about it. Um, but I, I do think that her passing up on this opportunity would be a mistake as she's able to move from that house into that Senate seat, helping elevate that kind of communication for her to push out there. Um, some other people that have been tossed around, Philip Pratt, a representative out of Georgetown. Now, he has announced his retirement from the House several weeks ago, um, but he was he announcing his retirement so he could run for the Senate? I don't think so. Um, chances are Damon there has his person picked out and that person will be very well funded, but it is interesting to say the least that Damon Thayer, one of, if not the most corrupt politicians in Frankfurt has decided that he doesn't want to be in office at this point. And the reasons why, well, can leave one to speculate. Well, coming up after this, we're going to take a look at this hearing we'll be at tomorrow. Uh, hopefully you'll join us. If as always, if you want to reach out to the show, email info at theandrewshow.com. We'll see you back here after this short, short break. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. And you are back with the Andrew Cooperator Show, your source for Kentucky politics from a constitutional and conservative standpoint. Hopefully at this point, especially if you listen to the show a few times over, you know about tomorrow, December 15th, hearing at 10 a.m. in Frankfurt. The Joint Judiciary Committee is having a hearing over red flag gun laws. I'll be up there wearing something yellow, and I hope you will join me also wearing something yellow to show your support for the Second Amendment and to stand in its place. But there's other things on the agenda for them to look at. One of the things is, is uh, Rand is listed as testifying about uh, Kentucky's violent felony statute, 
Um, don't know too much about what's going on there. Uh, that may tie into the Safer Kentucky Act too as well. Uh, obviously, there's some parts of the Safer Kentucky Act uh, that raises some concerns. I'll talk about those here in a, just a little bit as I've uh, my sources have have given me a little bit of a sneak peek of some of what's in there, some of the bill language, and there are some points of concern in that Safer Kentucky Act that we'll go over here in just a little bit. But before we do that, before we do that, I do have to wonder what Rand will be testifying about. He's not listed as testifying about this red flag gun law. Though I do hope while he is there and he realizes what's going on, that we can count on Rand Paul to take a stand for our Second Amendment rights while he's there. I do hope he takes a stand against government overreach and wiretapping, if that's of concern, because remember that Safer Kentucky Act, don't know fully what's in it. They they had wiretapping as something in there before, but they say they're taking that out. So I, I hope he takes a stand on those issues while he's there testifying. If he doesn't, well, I'll be sorely disappointed in Rand Paul. Hopefully, though, I don't have to bring you back that news when I tell you about what happened at the hearing on Monday. But but there are some other things that are going on at that hearing. And, and it's also the safer Kentucky act. So like I said, some sources have informed me some things that are in it. And, and just to begin off, I haven't even went through the entire bill. I'm told the entire bill is like 80 pages long. That tells you this bill does a lot. And the problem with a bill that does so much is there's so much opportunity for things to go awry. It'd be better to, in my opinion, if you actually care about the legislative process, you care about people's opinions on things, it would have been better to parse this bill out into several different parts and then pass each part. Because there's some parts of the Safer Kentucky Act that I think are good and are fantastic. And then there's some parts that leave me with quite a lot of questions and concerns. And the issue is, is how do I, as a constituent, properly voice those concerns to my legislators in a way that they can understand? You don't want to, you know, your, your, your legislators aren't going to have a 20 minute long conversation with you about a bill, your likes and dislikes about it. No, typically, the best way to communicate to legislators is you get a bill number and you either email them or you call them and leave a message and their legislative assistant gives it to them. Or you, you maybe if you do have their phone number, you can text them or call them and tell them simply things like, hey, vote no on uh, House Bill 137 if it comes up for a vote. Vote no on House Bill 130. Uh, I don't like how it does X, Y, Z, right? So, so kind of that kind of communication to them. But when it's a giant 80 pages or maybe less, right around 80 pages bill that does a lot, it's not as easy as saying, look, vote for, let's say, Safer Kentucky Act gets, I don't know, Senate Bill 5 becomes its number. Vote for Senate Bill 5 only if it amendments 1, 2, 6, and 7, and 8 and 9 are also voted in. Otherwise, vote no on the bill. That gets really confusing, and it's hard for me to share that with you. And so it becomes simple as either you support the bill or you don't. That's why these types of issues, and honestly, I think to a degree, those who actually, if you actually want certainly parts of the Safer Kentucky Act passed, you're shooting yourself in the foot by bundling it all together because you're going to get people that end up calling up there saying, well, I support 75% of the bill or 90% of the bill. 
but 10% of what the bill does, I greatly, greatly disagree with. And so I'm going to tell you to vote no on the entire thing. That actually can hurt your ability to pass a bill. It makes no sense to bundle this all together. So what do my sources tell me that's in it? That concerns me. Now, there's something in the bill that says if you get two violent felonies, you can get life in prison. And then if one of those violent felonies is a capital felony, capital offense, you can get the death penalty. Now, why this might be of some concern. Initially, you're like, well, this is really elevating that three strike law down to two strikes, right? Um, and, and so why is that of concern? Well, let me explain to you about what a violent felony could be, okay? And, and when I'm talking about, um, when, when I, I was talking to somebody, I don't know, today about this, we're talking about murder charges, right? Um, and we are talking about kind of the differentiating of, of, you know, should something have the same charge or not? And an example I used is, is a husband premeditating out a murder to his wife because he doesn't want to divorce her or whatever, compared to a hitman premeditating out a murder because he was simply paid to, which one is a greater quote unquote menace to society? Now, both are trashy human beings. I'm not defending one or the other. Both are awful people. You shouldn't be committing murder, clearly. But objectively speaking, if we remove the emotional standpoint, the person, the hitman, who's being paid to carry out murders is a little more dangerous, has different motivations that are a lot more problematic to our society than the husband or wife premeditating out murdering their spouse. One indicates they're a serial killer, right? That has the potential to be a serial killer at least and is scourge on society. The other one is a horrible person killing their wife or husband, but probably isn't going to be a threat to that guy down the street who he doesn't even know, but the hitman could be. I'm not saying either of them should get out of prison in this lifetime either. I'm just saying the charges of them, when, when we look at charging and minimum and maximum guidelines and things like that, we, in a way, right, we're trying to say this crime is worse than this crime. And all I'm saying is that a hitman for hire is, is probably worse for society than a spouse carrying out a premeditated murder. And so the hitman for hire probably should be, um, you know, at least sentence if, if they're both going to get, I don't know, 50 years, the hitman for hire gets a hundred years. The other guy gets 75 years. They're both going to end up dead in prison, you know, or the hitman should probably just get a capital offense and, 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 you know, maybe death penalty while the other guy maybe does it. I don't know. I'm not saying either of them should get out of prison, but hopefully you understand the argument I'm trying to make. And please don't try to distill that down. So why do I bring up this two violent felony concern? Well, there is, <laughs> let me tell you what the least violent felony is that would be considered a violent felony. And that is, in my opinion, arson in the third degree. So arson in third degree just requires you to light a building on fire Nobody has to die or anything else, just some building that somebody else has a proprietary interest in. So let me describe it to you this way. Let's say a, a guy or a girl do, does something they shouldn't do. They shouldn't do this. Let me make this very clear. They shouldn't do this. So let's say, though, they, I don't know, get drunk or something one night and they have bought a sh buy here, pay here shed. So, you know, those like shed dealers that I'm pretty sure might be a front for something else. Um, but you see all these shed dealers everywhere that offer this, 
you know, buy here, pay here, shed financing on the lot shed. So you get a shed delivered to your house, but this other company has a fidu fiduciary, right? Proprietorship in that shed that they also own that shed as well. You're just kind of renting it to own it, whatever. And so you get drunk, maybe not you, because you're not a bad person, right guys? Okay. But somebody owns, buys that shed, gets drunk, or doesn't get drunk, doesn't matter, but just lights that shed on fire, burns it down to the ground. And if the business they bought it from says, okay, well, we're reporting that as arson, well, that becomes a violent felony. So you lighting a shed on fire on your property that you got from buy here, pay here lot is a violent felony. Well, according to this bill, if you did that twice, and I know it's hard to imagine, right? You would never do that. But if you did that twice, if you burnt down a shed twice, life in prison. That's according to this bill. And I know I went with the least offensive thing I could. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, Andrew, what's the likelihood of that happening? I hear you, right? But objectively speaking, do you think a person burning down an empty shed on more than one occasion, so they've done it twice now. So a person who in their lifetime has burnt down two empty sheds, but nobody in it, nobody's even came close to getting hurt by it, deserves to be in prison for life. Do you think that? I hope not. Probably not, right? You would you would say like, okay, that person's not a good person. I'm not defending their behavior. But also at the same time, you're like, you know, I don't think that's the same as murdering somebody, right? <laughs> I hope you don't figure that the same way, right? Because that means a person under this law, a person burning down these two sheds in this situation would receive the same punishment as a child molester who did it twice. They would both be getting life in prison. Does that sound fair? Do you think those crimes are actually equal? I don't think so. Once again, I'm not defending either one. The guy who burns a shut down, bad person. The guy who rapes little girls, really, 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 really bad person. But I don't think objectively they're the same equalness of a horrible human being. But yet under this law, they would both receive Life in prison, according to my sources and, and what, what's been read out of it. But there's something else of concern. It has to do with homeless camping that's in this bill. This is a hearing on Friday. So, so we'll be covering that after this short break. You're listening to The Andrew Cooper Show, your source for Kentucky politics. As always, if you have opinions on these things, feel free to reach out to me, info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's info at theandrewshow.com. We'll see you after this short, short break. And you are back with the Andrew Kubrater Show. For the break, we're going over the Safer, Safer Kentucky Act. I've had a source kind of describe to me some of what's in it, some of the language. We talked about uh, the two-strike rule, how it might go overboard when you figure in what is a violent felony according to State statute, uh, according to KRS 532.200, burning down a shed is considered a violent felony. And uh, if you do that twice, it'd be life in prison under this bill. Um, but there's something else in there, and that was about camping, street camping. Now, obviously, this homeless encampment, those kinds of things, a problem. Definitely needs to be addressed. But there's a line in it 
where it talks about that a local or county government, city or county governments can designate a commercial or industrially zoned area away from the air areas used for public use as a basically a homeless encampment indoors or outdoors, as long as it has bathrooms and potable water. So they're saying, look, we got to deal with this homeless encampment issue. I understand they got to have somewhere to go. So we're going to allow them to just create a skid row, I guess. I mean, just create, designate a homeless encampment area to say, so, so they're going to make, it's so weird. They just don't make homeless encamping kind of like illegal. Right? No, they leave an option for places like Louisville and Lexington, these very liberal cities, to come in and say, hey, we're going to designate a skid row. We're going to designate this is where all the homeless people will live. That doesn't exactly right, solve the problem, does it? I mean, I get it. You're putting them in an area out of sight, out of mind. But at the same time, you are... Uh, you are creating a homeless encampment area. Not only that, you're almost encouraging it to a degree. If you just outright made it illegal, it'd do a better job to stop it than to be able to designate an area for it. But what's worse is, according to the act, it says that they can designate any commercial or industrial zoned area that's away from public area to use a homeless camp as well bathrooms, potable water. Now, the act nowhere in there actually says that the government has to own said property. Now, obviously, if the government came in and grabbed your commercial property to use it in this way, even a Fifth Amendment taking clause. But basically, if I'm to understand the Safer Kentucky Act correctly, and this is a question that I would have if I was in the hearing there and I was able to ask them questions, and this might be a question to ask your representatives, but um, it would appear, based upon this early version that I've I've gotten some peeks into, that the government could eminent domain private business properties in order to build homeless camps wherever they want to in Louisville as long as it's away from a park or something. They can just come in and seize any commercial lot they want and be like, oh, homeless camp here, homeless camp there, homeless camp there. Oh, there's a homeless camp now over there. And, and I guess they could technically pay that person, but imagine them coming into an industrial zone and then taking a lot or a building or a warehouse saying, we now own that, eminent domaining that. It's now a homeless encampment. What does that do to all the other businesses in the area? It specifically says it has to be zoned commercial industrial and just away from the public, but it doesn't say anything about private usage. So literally they can build a homeless camp right next to warehouses and, and where employees and businesses are trying to operate against the will of the people in that area. That doesn't sound like a good idea. That's what it looks like is in the Safer Kentucky Act. It's definitely something of concern. I'm concerned about it. And I really think we need to have some conversations about what that means. I'll probably dig in more into the Safer Kentucky Act too, as we find out more about it, as we hear more about that bill. I hope they make it available to the public soon. But I do want to transition into a uh, new, uh, um, to something else here. The governor obviously was inaugurated there the other day this week and he had his inauguration speech i'm going to play that for you it's about 10 minutes long so obviously we'll have to cover it this segment and then next segment too as well so bear with us here but i'm going to interrupt it sometimes because um well you know somebody's gotta have some comments on this thing but here's andy Bashir's inauguration speech let me tell you um 
it's quite interesting. I'll cut in as we go throughout as there's important information for you. Good afternoon to everyone gathered here in Frankfurt and to all of our Kentucky families watching at home. I am honored that in a minute, I will take the oath of office to continue to serve as your governor. Serving in this role is a special duty, a solemn commitment. It is an obligation I accept with great reverence and humility, but also with great excitement and anticipation. I stand here today enthusiastic and hopeful for all we will accomplish for this Commonwealth. Over the next four years, we will continue our record-breaking economic win streak and create the good-paying jobs that will provide a bright and promising future for every single Kentucky child. We will invest in our educators. So throughout this speech, there's going to be several times where they do this throughout this speech. He's going to pause for claps and they just like don't come where it's supposed to be a clap line. Nobody claps. And then he pauses and then people realize like, oh, I'm supposed to clap. It happens a lot in the speech and it is pretty funny. I'm just going to warn you beforehand. I'm going to probably laugh every time it happens because it is hilarious. We will continue to build what were thought to be impossible infrastructure projects, and we will run high-speed internet to every home in Kentucky. We will keep our promise to counties and communities devastated by natural disasters by not just rebuilding, but revitalizing. Your Lieutenant Governor and I will be there personally every step of the way. We love you, and we will get the job done. Now, he's going to say this several times throughout where he uses the word love. We love you. Love each other. Love content. We love you. Throwing around the love word a lot. You know, this is just really off-putting to me. I don't want my government people talking about loving me or love one. Because honestly, I don't want anything from the government. I don't want the government to love me. I don't want it anywhere near me, really. Uh, I want you to go away from me. And that's not typically how I feel about people I love. I don't typically think about them and say, oh, but I think a lot of people think about like the government and being like, we love you. We want to take care of you and immediately off put by that. But anyways. Oh, oh, pause for clapping. And then started clapping. I want to thank the Lieutenant Governor for her leadership. I want to thank my parents, Steve and Jane Bashir. Oh, especially thank your dad. I mean, without Steve Bashir clearing the way for his son to win governor, I, I don't think any Bashir would be anywhere close to where he is now. I want to thank my three favorite people in the world, Brittany, Will, and Lila. When you're governor, you don't, you can't leave your job in the office. It follows you home. My family. It follows you home where you then get drunk and get on to Zoom calls. Um, hammered, which is something he really did. 
uh, and it's hilarious. I, I covered that in a prior show. You'll have to go back and listen to it. It's called Drunk Bashir is the title of the show. And, man, he was hammered working from home. Please help bear the weight of our most difficult days. I love each of you so much. He goes over, and then he, in the middle of the speech, he hugs his wife, hugs his son, rubs his daughter's back. She kind of taps him. A very uncomfortable moment, clearly. For I want to recognize Governor Paul Patton, one of three two consecutive term governors that's here with us today. Yay. And my buddy, Governor Tim Walls from Minnesota is joining us here in Kentucky today. Another far blue lockdown governor. Well, we'll continue uh, with this speech after this break and my commentary on it. Um, we'll see you here in just a few, few short minutes. And you are back with the Andrew Cooperwriter Show, your source for Kentucky politics. For the break, we are going through Amy Bashir's inaugural speech, doing some commentary on it. We'll pick it back up where we left off uh, after he introduced Governor Walls and, uh, you know, Blue State Governor, famous for his lockdowns. Uh, let's hear what else he has to say here. And I want to thank everyone who put their faith in my leadership through their vote. I recognize that today we're missing Tommy Elliott, Virginia Moore, and so many other loved ones. And that this year we have now lost three former governors, Governors Brown, Jones, and Carroll. But I know that they are celebrating with us today and that we will see them again. He gets real creepy here about his weird version of Christianity too as well. That comes up. Today's ceremony is at what we call our new state capitol, which is just old enough to need a massive renovation. <laughs> Still, this awesome structure is much younger than our 231-year-old Commonwealth. It was in December of 1792, our first year, that United We Stand, Divided We Fall became our state motto. It's been with us every step of the way. Our people, like the motto, have been tested over two centuries by wars, depressions and recessions, and the noble fight for civil rights for all of our people. In the past four years, we faced our own tests. Each we have met with love, compassion, love. and empathy. When we faced a pandemic, we sacrificed for each other. I would love for Andy Bashir, speaking of love, I would love for Andy Bashir to articulate clearly what exactly did he sacrifice during the pandemic? He did anything he wanted to. His kid played out of state ball while the rest of us weren't allowed to play sports. The rules didn't apply to Andy Bashir, even though he was the one making them. And yet he says, we all sacrifice. Andy Bashir, did you sacrifice your paycheck? No. Andy Bashir, did you have to go in front of your broken down unemployment system and beg for an income? No. Did you send emails to them, hundreds of thousands of which got ignored? No, he didn't. He didn't do any of that. He didn't sacrifice at all. His paychecks kept coming. In fact, he had more power than he could even imagine. 
But he wants to pretend like, well, we're all in this together. We may be in the same ocean, Bashir, but we are in two very, very different boats. We came together every day at 4 or 5 p.m. And we shot. We came together every day at 4 or 5 p.m. to hear him give you the scary, scary numbers to continue to justify his increased tyranny. But and green lights all over the Commonwealth as the color of compassion. Thank you to all of our healthcare heroes who helped us through that deadly time. Unless, of course, you refuse to get the vaccine. And then in that case, they fired you. He would send out National Guard to go cover your job so hospitals could fire you. He used certificate of need processes to threaten hospitals that weren't mandating the vaccines. And yes, he he did do a backdoor vaccine mandate by saying he wouldn't lift another lockdown until uh, 2.5 million Kentuckians got vaccinated. But, you know, he does thank you, of course, for your great, great sacrifice until you were no longer of use to him or standing against his edicts that force you to get vaccinated. In that case, he was there to cast you to the side. Let us not forget that. When tornadoes leveled towns and flooding carried away homes and even loved ones, we came together. Neighbors pulling neighbors from their basements or carrying fellow Kentuckians through the current. Thank you to our National Guard and first responders for their amazing response. and to the Kentuckians that still today are feeding and helping those in need. I made a promise to be there to rebuild every home and every life, and we are going to see it through. With now seven high ground communities rising in the east and over 150 fully constructed new homes for our families in the west, we truly get through the hard times, and we get through them together. But we also get to the good times, and we get to those together as well. In our first four years, we secured the best years of economic development in our state's history. <laughs> With the help of an incredible transportation cabinet, we're building the Brent Spence Companion Bridge without tolls. <laughs> Governor Patton, we're four-laning the entire Mountain Parkway. And to those in the West, we are pushing the I-69 project forward. We've secured federal funding to run high-speed internet to every community. We're building the two biggest battery plants on planet Earth. And we've opened... Oh, getting a special bulletin. This just in. Ford announces it is revising down its production levels, cutting the Ford Lightning electric truck production in half due to lagging demand, meaning that the battery plants in Kentucky will now have less demand, creating less jobs. No word from the Bashir administration yet on, of course, how that will affect the $250 million in tax dollars he's already given them or the overall $410 million deal of giving them our cash that he has struck. No rule on, uh, no, no word yet on that. But uh, anyways, the cleanest, greenest recycled paper mill in the country. We've had the best years on record for both our bourbon and our tourism industry. 
this just in as of january 1st the eu is expecting to raise tariffs on bourbon by 50 percent greatly increasing costs and lowering demand no words yet from bashir on what he's done with the president biden in order to try to get those tariffs lowered we have record high budget surpluses and record low unemployment. We've now created over 50,000 new jobs and generated a state record $28.5 billion in new private sector investment. It's that weird pause again. We've passed sports betting and medical marijuana. Oh, man. Betting we kept marijuana? the cost of insulin and healthcare is now expanding all over the Commonwealth, including the fact we're building the first hospital in West Louisville in 150 years. It's about time. Put simply, we are at a moment in time where the true potential is there to achieve our collective dream, the dream of a better Kentucky. And we can. And we should realize that dream if we don't stand in our own way. See, one of the most difficult challenges we have before us is that politics and sometimes even our governance has become poisonous and toxic. What's supposed to be an exchange of ideas has devolved into grievances and attacks. Some appear to think it's just a game, that no target is off limits, that no lie is too big, too hurtful. We see strategies and commercials meant to make one American, one Kentuckian into an enemy of another, trying to accuse them of horrible things so as to dehumanize them, as to somehow justify anger, even hate. Turning people against their neighbors, why? Just so we could elect one more official with a certain letter behind their name. You know, I think that's enough gaslighting because at one point, you know, the most hateful ad that I saw during the entire campaign came from Black Voices Matter calling Daniel Cameron and Uncle Tom racist, ridiculous, distasteful, ugly. All those things Bashir says is just so awful, just so bad. Now, you know, of course, he's trying to attack Republicans in this gaslight. And I, I cut him off here because he goes on to gaslight, too, about Christianity and how his version of it somehow means that you can't you, you, you don't get to tell people involving themselves in sin that it's sin and that God loved everyone and, and he did, but at the, or Jesus loved everyone and he did, but it wasn't like, you know, he still told you when you were messing up and sinning that it was a sin, but regardless, we don't need to keep going through that. But, but to hear him say, Oh, these, these attack ads, they're just so awful. Just so awful. When he himself never once decried the ugliest, worst, horrible attack ad I've ever seen from Black Voices Matter calling Cameron and Uncle Tom. He was silent. He didn't decry it. He's never said a darn word about it. And yet he wants to sit there and play this game. No, he should be called out for that. And I hope everybody else realizes it as well. Well, y'all, that's what we got time for today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Hopefully I'll see you tomorrow up in Frankfurt. But if I don't, make sure you're tuning in to the Andrew Cooperwriter Show Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. on WZXI. One o'clock everywhere else. You all have a great rest of your...
day.